Hello and welcome to the second podcast by the Society for the Environment. So that's who we are. Um, to provide a very brief introduction, uh, the Society for the Environment holds a Royal Charter, which was awarded in 2004, and we are the custodian of two professional registrations, the Chartered Environmentalist and Registered Environmental Technician registrations. But that's enough about us as an organisation. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Registered Environmental Technician Steve Coles. Hiya. So we're going to go straight into some questions and find out a little bit about what Steve does, his background and his reasons for becoming a registered environmental technician. So Steve, what do you currently do as a job? Currently I'm a process controller on a clean water treatment works for angling water. Basically I'll look after the whole process from the abstraction of the water from two local rivers into a reservoir and then pumping from the reservoir into our treatment works, overseeing the plant and then pumping out into the network after it's been treated. Is there quite a team of you doing that? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a team of six people that work in the uh, the control room as as uh, process controllers. We work the European shift system, and there's about sixteen guys in total that look after the electrical and the mechanical side of the, the works as well. What do those shift patterns look like? It's obviously a, a twenty-four hour, three hundred sixty-five day operation. And then there's variable uh, days off in between to let you recover from them. It's um, it's a six-week rotation, and it's uh, it is quite hard work. Okay. So what would a normal week in your role look like? Is there a normal week? A normal week, yeah. <laughs> Let's go with mornings. A normal morning <laughs> shift would be a 4.20 a.m. alarm call to aim to get to work for about 5.45 um, to take over from my shift man at about 6 o'clock. And then it would be uh, a very busy morning shift is probably our busiest shift because we have everybody on site and uh, obviously people doing a lot of work. They all want to be in contact with the control room at the same time. So as well as looking after the plan, getting ready for our busy periods of high demand as far as water levels go, and then looking after everybody that's on site who wants to do stuff to the plant. So the morning shift, probably the busiest one. Um, afternoon shift, close second. That that starts roughly from 2 p.m. through till 10 o'clock at night. The, the night shift is the sort of shift uh, where really you're just focusing on getting through the night, filling everywhere up, ready for the morning, and trying to manage the nights in the best way that you can. Okay, so are you overseeing staff members or do you work independently? We tend to oversee contractors and then if there's issues with the plant and people want to test the plant afterwards and all that sort of stuff, then yeah, we'll oversee what's going on. Obviously, if we have big jobs to do, then they're governed by an impact plan. So there'll be times where we follow the impact plan along with everybody else. And yeah, generally, you're, you're at the end of the phone if you needed. And like I say, obviously, if there's contractors on site, then we're keeping our eye on what the contractors are doing as well. So generally, mornings and afternoons, very busy. How long have you been in this particular role? Um, I think well, I'm coming into my, oh, it's a long time now, it's either 16 or 17 years I've been wrangling water, and I think this is my sixth year as a, as a process controller. Okay. Uh, have things changed much over the last six years? Um, or 16 years. 
Uh, well, yeah, definitely changed over 16 years. Uh, the last six years, it, it's been a sort of, um, for me personally, it's been a continuous development. It's quite an intensive job. I didn't really feel comfortable in the job for maybe up to the first three years. And then um, alongside my main role, I'm also the biodiversity champion. So that's developed as well over the last six years. And as I've become more comfortable in my main role as sort of the biodiversity champion, I've been able to do a little bit more in regards to that as well. Okay, you do that alongside your, I guess it's part of your day-to-day job now, is it? Um, it's a sort of, um, I don't like to say it's a sideline, but it's it's something that I do as and when I get the time to put into it. So what I do is uh, we've got um, just under three hectares of wildflower meadow, so I've been developing that over the last four or five years. And then all the stuff that comes alongside with that, the, obviously the the Remtech application had a lot to do with the, the biodiversity side as well. So really, it's um, it's something that I dip into as and when I get a chance. Really, are those wildflower meadows on site? Yeah, they they're all on site at Wing Water Treatment Works. Yeah, and, and that's what that's where I'm based, obviously in the control room. So so yeah, we look after them there. Um, I guess as Wing is really our premier site for, for doing this development work. And as we get on top of what we're trying to achieve at Wing, we might get to roll it out across other sites. We've got um, getting on over 10 biodiversity champions in other areas. So what we learn at Wing, we'll be trying to roll out to, to the other champions across the region as well. Over the last year, we've been lucky to find a local charity and they're taking the hay that we produce now. So we're trying to get an organic uh, certification for the hay that we produce so that it can go to a, a local charity, which is only a mile down the road from us. So there's a quite a good saving of carbon emissions from transporting hay. What we were doing previous years, it was going off to be composted, whereas now it's, well, hopefully in the next couple of years, it's going to go off to... Um, rescued cattle from the cattle industry so as we develop this it's um looking quite positive that we're going to have some uh, nice sustainability good for those who are listening in in early july we're actually recording this midway through june uh, during the the monsoon of june <laughs> yeah how's the hay looking after uh, birds say we've had some torrential downpours recently when I, when I last see it and I wasn't on night shift, it looked absolutely fantastic. I dare okay. say when I go back on afternoon shift tomorrow, it's going to look terrible. Okay. <laughs> we shall see. So what are the challenges you face in the, the day-to-day role and in the biodiversity championing that you do as well? Uh, the management of the plant and the assets really is the, is the most challenging thing. The actual site of Wing was built in 1973. Obviously, there's been some massive changes as far as water quality goes in that time. So there's been some development on site. We had uh, GAC absorbers added to the plant and then another 90 megalitre plant added on the same site to increase our capabilities. It's looking after the older plant and then keeping an eye on the newer plant as well and making sure that it all runs effectively. That's an ongoing day-to-day task. Is it because of the increased demand for water? I think overall within the region, the demand is staying pretty similar because there's a, there's a big education program with people um, not overusing water. And then we're doing a lot with leakage as well um, through the business and it out into the wider region as well. I think the demand, although um, 
although the demand, especially through last summertime, was quite strong, in general, I think the demand is pretty stable. It's just with Wingham, again, I think across the industry, a lot of the plant is is getting quite old now. So it's, it's more intensive as far as spending money on assets goes and just generally looking after the plant. As far as the biodiversity side of things goes, um, the meadow is, is like a sort of a three or four year development. So with anything new, it's a case of trying to get everything to fit in in the timescales that you want it to as far as getting the cuts done, getting the right contractors in to do the cuts. And then, as I say, um, trying to find the best way to use the hay that we produce afterwards as well. So it's, it's an ongoing thing. And how do you measure the successes of the meadows and so on? What I tend to look at is how the grassland species are spreading. And then also, really, like I say, the big success is uh, getting the, the products that you've produced out to somebody who, A, is going to be grateful for it, and B, is, is relatively local so that you keep the carbon miles down with the uh, transportation of it. Hopefully, as we move forward, this hay that we produce is going to go to a charitable trust now. So obviously, we're not going to be charging for it. And with it only being a mile away from where we work as well, there's the, the sustainability benefits as well from that. So fingers crossed as we move forward, we should start to see some pretty positive results from that. What were the areas of land used for before you started using it to try and increase biodiversity? It was purely amenity grassland, so it was just rye grass that was cut down to the quick every 10 times a year, and it really was um, pretty poor as far as biodiversity goes. Now we're getting uh, um, bee orchids and all that sort of stuff growing through it. We're getting uh, about 16 species of different flowering plants on there as well. If you go out to it on a normal summer's day, not a completely wet one, then you can see the pollinating insects all over it. So we had a barn owl um, quartering it down and feeding on there the other day. So we, we are starting to get some fabulous wildlife coming in. Wow, that sounds like a, a really interesting thing to be to be monitoring and being a part of. Yeah, it's been it's been nice to be a part of it. Yeah, that's for sure. We're going to get more into your RMF tech registration in just a moment. But whilst I think about it, did your RMF tech status have anything to do with your inclusion in the biodiversity project? Um, I think I joined the biodiversity uh, champion program first and the RMF tech came from that, uh, if I remember correctly. So it was, uh, it was the other way around. Okay, interesting. Which project that you've worked on has been your favourite so far in your 16 years? Previous to my current role, I used to work based out of the um, central laboratory. I I did used to do some enjoyable stuff as far as um, going out to pollution incidents and then regular sampling on a little ribs inflatable on major reservoirs. They were both good things to do. They weren't necessarily projects, but they were things that I did enjoy doing within the company. I think that the thing that I have enjoyed the most has been the, the biodiversity side of the business. When I came into my new role as a process controller, I did enjoy learning a new role that was quite a complex role. Like I say, it took two or three years to actually feel comfortable with the size of the plant that we oversee and all of the different issues that you can get from that. And that was quite challenging and, and enjoyable at the same time. But for me, I am very much an outdoor boy. 
all my holidays uh, they're not beach holidays put it that way <laughs> so it's the outdoor side that's um, really been a major interest to me are you drawn towards the hills and mountains oh i am indeed yeah yeah a couple of visits to scotland every year is a is a, a sort of bare minimum really sounds like paradise definitely <laughs> when did you first develop your deep interest in the environment um I mean, really, it came before I started at Angling Water. My, my father was a farmer for 25 years when I was very small. I was outdoors from a young age. And then, might sound a bit corny, but I went through the scouts until I left school. So, again, that was an outdoor pursuit. Um, and I've always, I've always been either cycling outside or, or doing stuff in the hills outside. So, really... Um, uh, when I came to Angling Water, that was the key thing, was that I wanted to put something back into the community and within the region. Was I could leave work at the end of the day and feel pretty positive about something that I've done that was beneficial for the environment. And within both sides of, of my current roles, the biodiversity side and then the process controller side, it ticks all of those boxes because we have pretty strict regulations on what we can abstract and where... Um, Rivers that we abstract from, we pump obviously into Rutland Reservoir, which is a Ramsar site, a Triple SI, uh, an SPA site as well. So we have all of those issues to deal with as well. Really, every step of the way, looking at the plant, the chemicals we use, not overusing chemicals, making sure that the processes all run correctly and in the most energy efficient way they can. Really, every step of the way through, through both sides of my role, the environment is into it every step. Was there anything in particular that drew you towards the water sector? Yeah, I, I mean, really, I did, um, before I joined Angling Water, I did a, a HNC in laboratory science. There were there were other avenues open, but really, I suppose before I joined Angling Water, my heart would have been more in the, the scientific side of archaeology. And it sounds pretty crude, but what swung me away from that and into Angling Water was the uh, financial repercussions of being an archaeologist is... Uh, this does not pay. So, <laughs> What was your first environmental role? Was it the first role you had at Anglian Water? Yeah, I came into the laboratory side of the business, obviously with the HNC and laboratory science, and uh, more or less straight away, I was, um, I think within the first year, I was out doing the biology sampling on the, the little ribs and then doing the pollution incidents. Um, I guess maybe the managers looked at me and maybe made the assumption that I was an outdoor boy and, and that was where I was best suited. So probably a good management decision on their part to get me outside. Do you feel like you make a, a difference in your current role? Without a doubt. I can legitimately go home at the end of every day and feel that we've produced good, clean, wholesome water, approximately a million people every day and that we've done it to the to the best of our abilities, like I say, minimising chemicals, minimising energy, abstracting in the most environmentally sound way that we can. And then around that, angling water, managing the large storage reservoir that we have in the best way that it can, alongside the uh, Leicestershire Wildlife Trust, to make it the best reservoir for wildlife that we can. That's a good aim to have. Yeah, yeah. Again, it sounds corny, but I love what we do. And it's an angling water strapline, really, that the, the, the company loves what it does. And um, they're not wrong. As far as a satisfying job role goes, I couldn't be happier. 
Well, that's the aim for a lot of people. To do something that you love is brilliant. Since we're talking about going home happy at the end of the day, Steve joined us for a webinar about why to become a registered environmental technician, which was recorded over a year ago. And we spoke about your pond. How's the pond going? Since the webinar, I've got married, been on honeymoon to um, the Outer Hebrides for three weeks, and moved house as well. And then the old pond is still in situ, I think, at, the, at my old house. And there's a there's a new house and a new pond, and then a whole new host of pollinating plants that I'm waiting to pick up a little bit as well. Excellent. So sometimes taking your work home with you is a good thing. That's mixed, really. I think sometimes I'll take my home to work and bring my work back home as well. <laughs> it rubs off both ways. So in terms of your registered environmental technician registration, what does the RF Tech registration mean to you? I think what it is, is uh, it's a validation of what we do at work. Either both, like I say, both aspects from the biodiversity side, the biodiversity champion, and then looking after the plant and the works as well. Um, I suppose it's like a validation of what we do, the fact that we are achieving these environmental aims and getting recognition for it. That's the main thing, I think. And you'll certainly stand out being a RF tech at the moment. We have nearly 7,500 registered environmental professionals across the Chartered Environmentalist and Registered Environmental Technician registrations, and only a really small percentage of those are registered environmental technician. Hopefully it won't be for long. No, I guess you'd encourage more people to become a registered environmental technician. Yeah, as well as a validation for angling water and its aims and its standing within the population as a business. The personal side of it is very good as well. It's nice to feel that you've achieved something and it's nice to know that you're capable of passing through the competencies all right. I remember when I first took it, it was quite daunting because I hadn't done anything really of that level since my HNC. It was personally challenging. But at the same time, I had a, a really good mentor as well within the angling water business. He made it easy for me and he gave me the confidence to plough on with it. So it was the right level of challenge without it being too challenging. And hopefully it stands me in good stead for, for moving up to the chartership whenever I feel confident enough to have a go at that. So that's the aim, is it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well... Franklin Water are one of six organisations who have become a Chartered Environmentalist Employer Champion recently, which is a new programme here at the Society for the Environment. But they're the only one who have become a Chartered Environmentalist Employer Champion and a Registered Environmental Technician Employer Champion. And that means that they concentrate on developing their environmental experts within the organisation and they support them through the process of becoming a registrant and then continue to support them in their development through their career. Um, so Anglian Water are one of those. They're certainly an organisation who look after their environment professionals and they obviously think quite highly of them to be able to do that and spend the time uh, and resources to, to develop them. So hopefully that's, that's a positive message within Anglian for the staff to, to take on board. Yeah, I think within the business as a whole, they've got some really strong environmental goals. So bringing the staff along with those goals and getting the accreditations to match is the second side of the coin, really. Do you feel like since you became a registered environmental technician that you've been able to influence or voice your opinions on certain matters within your day-to-day -day role more, or is that stayed relatively the same? 
yeah, I think there's more influence available to you. I maybe think oh, I'll try to influence too much, but I think we're now coming into a time that politically we're just understanding as well that in the next 10 to 20 years, we really, really need to make some pretty strong business decisions based on environmental work, the environmental issues that we have in the wider world. So I will use whatever leverage I can to push us as hard as we can into uh, trying to do something about global warming, plastics, all the um, issues that we see on a day-to-day basis, energy use. We use the, the Yammer app within the business and people are probably sick of seeing me on there, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you get to do with the environmental side of your role? Do you get to inform the wider public about various work that you do and the effect that it has on the environment, whether it's biodiversity or how it links to your interest in climate change or similar subjects? Are you able to voice your expertise? So the company has its own sort of uh, media streams. The stuff for the meadows and that has been over on some of the media streams. I don't have a lot in the, in the way of direct contact with the public. I tend to be, obviously being based at Wing, we're in the control room most of the time, so it's not really a, a public-facing position. But yeah, some of the results that we get from the meadows, they're obviously um, they're good for the company to put those out to the wider public so that the, the wider public can see what we do is that we are walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Well, that's good to hear. What would you say to others thinking about a career in the environment, whether it's the water sector or, or elsewhere? I think the environment now is, is going to be focus on that in the way that there maybe was in other industries that are starting to tell back. What the Committee for Climate Change has said is that we need, um, we basically need to put in the same amount of energy into averting global warming that we did with the operations in the Second World War. The energy and the, and the work that's going to go into the environment over the next 20 or 30 years is going to be huge, whether that's through alternative renewable energy sources or insulating homes, or all the other countless things, getting an EV strategy developed for the country, for alternative transportation, all of those avenues are all going to be environmentally based now. So there's many, many different work streams going to be coming online soon with an environmental focus. Um, plastic reduction, novel materials, all of that sort of stuff is all going to be environmentally based. So there's um, there's going to be untold opportunities moving forward in the next 20 to 30 years, I think. I guess with the focus on the environment or environmental issues and, and tackling climate change and things like that, the, the different ways in which you can get involved and doing your bit for the environment are becoming huge. The scope of organisations who need environmental professionals, whether they're um, you know, you could be an ecologist or you could be working for a bank. Yeah, there's not a company in the country at the minute that doesn't have a sustainability strategy or is working on one. So it is going to permeate through every business. An opportunity to combine interests, I guess, alongside your environmental interests. You can still move into the sector that you were always thinking about going into, but then combine it with your environmental knowledge. So, Yeah. It should make for a more fluid transition between companies. Okay, so one thing that we're going to be asking all of our guests on our podcast is uh, if you're able to influence world leaders for one day, what would be the first thing you'd do? Uh, without getting too political? 
we'll avoid too much politicalness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, first thing would be to roll back Brexit, but we won't go down that road. <laughs> Um, I think nationally, I think the big thing for me would be a more complete EV infrastructure and then maybe a gigafactory. We need to really up the uh, battery production in this country. I guess that could be done uh, globally as well, really. I think Mr. Musk is trying his hardest. He's got one being built in China and then one in Australia, but we could do with a a European one as well. Mm. So that would be on maybe on a national scale. And then on a global scale would be actually getting everybody fully signed up to Paris again and really getting some strong uh, leadership in that area. Maybe even an improved version of the Paris Agreement. It's getting everybody on the same footing so that we're running instead of walking. Okay. Well, there's a, there's a challenge for world leaders. I think Greta Thunberg can probably say it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question for you today. What's next for you? You've mentioned the, the goal to become a chartered environmentalist. Mm. Yeah, I think as far as that goal goes, I need uh, we need a couple more years to get the meadow aspect of work running right so that we can maybe introduce a spring cut along with the late summer cut. Just get the process running really smoothly and then maybe put together a, a CM application based on that and then look at moving it out across the business. I'm more than enough to keep me busy anyway. <laughs> good thank you very much for your time today Steve we'll, we'll leave it there and it's been a really interesting chat about what you've been doing and uh, good luck with all your plans for the future hopefully we'll see the Chartered Environmentalist certificate going in the post soon I we'll look forward to the application and also it's been nice talking to you again Phil thank you very much speak soon yeah cheers If you're interested to hear more about the Registered Environmental Technician Registration or indeed the Chartered Environmentalist Registration, please take a look at our How to Become and Why Become recorded webinars on our website, which is socemf.org.uk. And Steve features on the Why Become a RM Tech webinar. So check that out from from a year or so ago. Or you can visit our YouTube channel. Simply type Society for the Environment and you should be able to find us. The webinar recordings are are available there as well, uh, alongside our fascinating environmental webinar series where you can like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at SOCEMV underscore HQ to keep up with all of the society's latest news. We will be releasing a new episode of this podcast on the first Wednesday of every month. So if you're interested in our future podcasts, then please subscribe to hear more from us. You can subscribe and review through iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. The choice is yours. Bye for now.